All right. Well, thank you, worship team, for, uh, as always, doing a great job of leading us in worship and just taking us vertically to the throne room. I'm excited tonight to get into our time in the Word, so we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 once again, as we're making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians here on our Wednesday night service. We're actually working through the New Testament right now. So if you have your Bibles or your mobile device, please turn there and um, join us for this time in the Word. I'm going to pray. Father, we just as we open your Word right now, we pray, God, that our hearts would be open to your voice, that you would speak to us, and God, that you would just meet us uh, here tonight in the study of your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, a reading of church history reveals a very sad thing about the church as it relates to its past. And it's almost very similar to the nation of Israel. And what it it relates, we see in church history, we also see it in church present. And that's this, that rather than standing out as beacons for Jesus in their culture, the church oftentimes would get sucked into the mindset and the practices of the world around it. You know, the idea in, in Scripture is where we have from the Lord is that we're to be in the world, but not of the world. But time and time again, we see that followers of Christ fell into the beliefs and practices that were considered to be acceptable in their cultures. And because of that, they were sidetracked by what we might call the cultural norms of their society. In today's vernacular, the argument might go something like this. Well, the Bible says, the Bible doesn't say I can't do it. How many of you have heard that one before? Somebody's saying, well, the Bible says I can't do it. That's true. That might be true. But does the Bible say you shouldn't hit yourself in the head with a hammer? No, it doesn't say that, does it? But common sense tells you, I shouldn't do that. That would probably hurt. The Bible Bible doesn't say that you, you shouldn't pull a dog's tail. But again, common sense tells us, I probably shouldn't do that. That probably wouldn't bode well for me. Now, for me personally, as a five-year-old, I didn't have common sense. And so I did that. I was pulling the tail of a German shepherd, and it turned around and bit me right in the face. That's why I look like this today. But uh, anyway, um, part of the problem that we've seen with the church in Corinth is that they forgot who they were in Jesus They forgot that they were a people who have been called out of one thing, that being the world, and called into something else, that being the family of God. They were called out of the world and called into the family of God. And and this was the truth that Paul was wanting them to just kind of get through their, their hearts and minds is that new belief should result in new behavior. And so Paul has been admonishing the Corinthian church to be who they are in Jesus instead of who they used to be in their flesh. You see, the Corinthian church had lost sight of their new identity or what we might call their new reality in Christ. And this was the problem or the reason why there were divisions that were happening among them. It was part of the reason why they were tolerating gross sin in their midst. Um, It was part of the reason why they were even taking uh, each other to court 
over trivial matters, that they were acting in that way just like the unbelievers. And some were even falling back into the sexual practices that had been a part of their old life prior to coming to Christ. And so once again, here in the latter part of chapter 6, Paul is seeking to remind them of their position in Christ. Notice how he, how he puts it there in verse 9. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, verse 11, notice. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Notice what he says. He says, guys, this is the old you. This is what you used to be. And as I read through this list, maybe some of you are going, yep, I used to be that one. Oh, I used to be that one. I used to be that. He, he mentions fornicators. Fornicators are those who engage in sexual practices outside of marriage. He mentions idolaters, those who are engaged in, in the following of other deities or putting anything in their life in a higher priority than God. He mentions adulterers, those who break the sanctity of marriage by getting involved sexually and emotionally with someone other than their spouse. He mentions homosexuals, those who are involved in same-sex Type of relationships. He mentions sodomites. The idea behind that word is that they were male prostitutes. And he mentions thieves, those who steal, covetous, those who want what someone else has, drunkards, those who abuse alcohol or drugs, revilers, those who slander and falsely accuse others, and extortioners, those who are swindling others. And Paul says this in verse 9. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Guys, don't be deceived. Now, it's interesting because in Galatians chapter 5, Paul there gives a similar list to the list that we just read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But under that description of the works of the flesh, where Paul gives this similar list, he adds this, this word, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he adds that word practice. And the word practice there speaks of a lifestyle. It's the idea of a continual practice. In other words, it's what they're all about, you could say. It's what they've just given themselves to. And Paul says, look, that's who you guys used to be. That was your life apart from Christ. That's what you, your practice used to be, but now you've been washed. Washed of your sins. You have been sanctified, set apart unto God. You have been justified. That word means you've been declared righteous by the Lord. And so he's saying, look, you've been rescued by Jesus out of that lifestyle, so don't get tangled back up into it. Don't get sucked back into it. And in the rest of the chapter, Paul gives us what we might call some guardrails that can keep us and help keep us from getting sucked in to the cultural norms of our society. Because, see, here's the thing I think that all of us would agree upon. No true Christian 
just all of a sudden decides one day that they're going to go back to the old life. No true Christian just decides one day that, you know, they're, they're just going to forsake God and, and dive back into, you know, the way that they used to live. But what usually happens is they, they begin to just subtly move in that direction and they begin to cross over guardrails that the Lord has put in place. And we're going to look at a few of those here in our text today. It's not the, 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 the whole of the guardrails that we have in Scripture, but this is a good little um, outline for us to follow as it relates to just, you know, keeping us in the right place. Because guardrails are there, they're placed on the road to help us know that there's danger there, right? That there's a cliff. You're driving up a mountain pass and it's like there's a guardrail, there's a cliff there. You don't want to get too close to that. And guardrails are also placed to keep us on the right path. And God's word provides guardrails for us to keep us on the path. In Psalm 105, we're told this, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So let's consider the guardrails that we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice what Paul says in verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So here's guardrail number one, is to ask ourselves this question when we're you know, coming upon a decision or coming upon something is, is this helpful? Paul says, all things are helpful. The word there is permissible for me. All things are permissible, but all things are not helpful. In a sister passage to this, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, Paul wrote this, all things are lawful, permissible, again is the word, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, permissible, but not all things are going to build me up. Not all things are going to edify me. So the first question I need to ask myself is this, is this going to be helpful for me or hurtful? Is this activity or this relationship, whatever it is that, that I might be getting involved in or tempted to get involved in, or, or this, this you know, path that I'm about to embark on, I have to ask myself, is this going to advance my relationship with Jesus or is it going to hinder it? Think of it this way. Think of your life as being like a battery. And, and we have this, you know, the power of Jesus in our lives, with the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so we need to ask ourselves concerning things that maybe we're, you know, ha- have an opportunity to get involved in. Is this going to drain my battery or is it going to recharge my battery? Is this going to be helpful? Is it going to build me up? Is it going to charge my battery? Is it going to deplete my battery? You know, I was in college. I had a friend. His name was Tim. Tim was a good guy, and he was a Christian. Um, But you know what? My friendship with him was not a good friendship. Not a help, put it this way. It wasn't a good, helpful friendship for me because we tended to influence each other in the wrong ways. I don't know what it was, but we just tended to have that type of effect upon each other. It was permissible. It was fine for us to be friends. But it wasn't helpful. 
And, you know, our conversations were never about the Lord. They always seemed to, to drift into other areas. It wasn't, there wasn't any iron sharpening iron that was taking place. It wasn't a good relationship. And so I came to a point where I had to make a decision, just going, you know what, it's not that helpful. It's not, that, it's not a good thing for me to, to spend a whole lot of time with Tim. I had the same thing happen several times in dating relationships where it just wasn't the right time. It was permissible, but I I wasn't in a place to really be a spiritual leader in that relationship. So it was permissible, but it wasn't helpful. I always ended up, you know, going in the wrong direction in my relationship with the Lord. It wasn't bringing me closer to, or that relationship wasn't bringing me closer to the Lord. It seemed to distract me in my relationship with the Lord. And so it's always good to ask that question. And I, for one, I want to be around people who are going to build me up in the Lord. I want to be that kind of person to others. So it's always good to ask us the question, is it helpful? Remember in Hebrews chapter 12, when the writer of Hebrews was talking about and given the analogy that we are, you know, those who are running in a race. And he says, as we're running in the race, we need to make sure that we lay aside the the weights and the sin." that can so easily entangle us. Now, we all know what sin is. Sin is the things that are black and white in the Word of God that, hey, we should not do that. And, and that's not what I'm talking about here when I'm you know, talking about guardrails, per se, is that you know, when, when things are crystal clear, it's like, okay, Bible says avoid that. I need to avoid that. But I'm talking about the, the, the things that are more weights, Things that aren't black and white in Scripture. Things that that maybe are kind of in the gray area. Weights are those things that might not be a sin, but they're also things that might not be good for me. Weights can be those things that impede our growth in the Lord. And so the writer of Hebrews says we need to lay aside the weights and the sin. And so the first thing that we have to ask ourselves is, is this helpful? Is this going to be helpful or hurtful for me in my relationship with the Lord? God rule number two, will I be dominated by this? Notice the second part of verse 12. He says, all things are lawful, all things are permissible, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now, several things come to my mind when I think about that, but here's one of the cultural norms that can have a detrimental effect upon believers, and I've seen this happen firsthand many, many times, and that's the drinking of alcohol. Now, it's true. The Bible doesn't say that it is a sin to drink alcohol. And it is true that Jesus drank wine. And the wine that Jesus drank was real wine, okay? Some people like to say that it wasn't, but there's no, nothing in Scripture that all points to the fact that Jesus didn't drink and even make, when he made turn the water into wine, real wine. But alcohol, so, so we know that alcohol, okay, drinking is not a sin, But alcohol becomes a sin when a person gets drunk. But here's where the dilemma often comes in. What constitutes drunkenness? You see, ask most people, those who like to drink, and and, and they ask them, you know, hey, what what does it mean to be drunk? And, And they'll say that, well, being drunk is when you lose control of your faculties. And that's true. That is being drunk. 
They'll say, you know, being drunk is when a person, I mean, they can't stand up anymore. And they're slurring their speech and they're kind of all over the, the places. And, and that, that is, that's true. That is being drunk. But here's what's interesting. Webster's Dictionary defines drunkenness as, as having the, your faculties impaired by alcohol. So it's not the loss of control, but my faculties simply being impaired by the alcohol. Faculties are the powers of the mind and my senses, or my body being influenced by a substance. Now, now some might say, well, what does Webster know? I mean, he's like a Poindexter kind of guy. He wrote a dictionary. What does he know type of a thing? Well, um, here in, in California, being legally drunk is having a level of alcohol in the blood that is 0.08. So this is a conversation that I have had many times with many Christian friends that I have who like to drink. And I ask them this, do you ever get drunk? And they say, no, of course not. And then I ask them this, well, how come the other day at that wedding reception you had your wife drive home after you had a couple beers and a glass of wine. And they'll respond by saying, well, I, I didn't want to take any chances. <laughs> chances of what? Well, chances of getting pulled over. Chances of getting a DUI. Because, man, that, those are expensive and you get your license you know, revoked. And, but, but here's my point in that question is that their actions are contradictory to their words. They're saying, hey, I'm not drunk, my senses are not impaired, but just in case, I'm going to have my wife drive home tonight. Now, I got to say this, I do hesitate to even try to bring up that argument, because the last thing that I ever want to do is to, you know, see somebody who is drunk get behind the wheel of a car that is reckless and dangerous. But sometimes I will have that conversation just trying to get my friends to see that, hey, drunk is drunk. So again, is drinking a sin? No. Can it lead to drunkenness? Yes. Is drunkenness a sin? Yes. Can it lead, can drinking lead to be under, being under the influence of a controlled substance? Yes. Can a person become dependent upon that? Yes. So here's a question to ask yourself, to find out, okay, hey, is this something that is being dominant in my life? Is do you need a drink to help you relax or de-stress? If you say yes, I just want to challenge you in this way. Would, wouldn't reading your Bible or listening to some praise music be a more helpful option? Do you need a drink at night to help you go to sleep? Again, wouldn't prayer or putting on an audio book, just listening to you know some, some book that is, is about the Lord, wouldn't that be a better option? But here's the thing. Alcohol consumption is a norm in our society. But the thing that we have to ask ourselves is this, is it helpful for me as a believer? And is there a potential for me to be brought under its power? We have to ask ourselves. We have to wrestle with that. But we could apply that not just to alcohol. We could apply that to video games. We could uh, apply that to TV consumption. We could apply that to exercise. And if you are a person who has what I might call an excessive behavior, 
or somebody who is just kind of has an addictive type of, type of personality that, that you, you can't just get into things a little bit, but you get into it full bore. You need to be really, really careful. So these are some guardrails. Guardrail number one, is it helpful? Guardrail number two, will I be dominated by this? Guardrail number three, is this going to defile God's temple? Let's pick it up in verse 13. Paul says this, Foods for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both of both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise up, raise us up by his power. Do you know, or excuse me, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So notice he says here, Foods are for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both and them. This is a great verse. You should have this verse memorized. The stomach is made for food and the food for stomach. Can I get an amen to that? I am so thankful for pizza and I'm so thankful for the person, you know, for In-N-Out Burger and places like that because God made our stomachs for food. The body's been designed with this intricate digestive system that takes food from the stomach and then turns it into fuel for our bodies. And so this is the point that Paul's making in this. He's saying, look, your stomach has a purpose, and the purpose of your stomach is for food. But then he elaborates in this and saying, this is the the point he's making is, just in the same way that your stomach has a purpose, your body has a purpose. And I want you to notice what he says there in verse 13, the second part of it. He says, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He's saying, look, your body has a purpose and the purpose of your body is not for sexual immorality. Now, here's a cultural norm that can creep into the church where people will say this. Hey, it doesn't matter what two people are doing as long as it's two consenting adults. I'm sure you've probably heard that argument before. Paul would argue, though, hey, wait, 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 wait. Your body is not, has not been made for sexual immorality. Well, what's sexual immorality? Sexual immorality is any sexual behavior between two people that is outside the biblical definition of marriage, which is, this is the biblical definition of marriage, it is a union between a man and a woman. 
a male and a female, husband and wife. So any sexual activity that is not under that banner, the Bible defines as sexual immorality, and the Bible says that sexual immorality is sin. Your body, Paul says, was not made for sexual immorality, but you have been made for the Lord. You belong to Him. I love what he says here in verse 20. Look at it again. He says, For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He says, look, you've been bought. And the price that God paid for you was an expensive one. We've been blood-bought, purchased by, not with silver and gold, the Bible says, but with the precious blood that flowed from the veins of Jesus. It was the death of Jesus upon the cross that Jesus came to redeem mankind. The word redeem means to buy back, and he was buying us out of the the slave dungeon of sin. He was buying us back out of being entrapped under the power of the enemy. And Jesus has bought you and he has bought me. He paid the price not so that we could use our bodies to be, you know, wasted in sinful practices. But you and I now have been redeemed. We have been bought back to glorify God with our bodies. And Paul addresses the common misnomer, or excuse me, misnomer that people make about sex today. See, some people will say this. It's just sex. It's just sex. It's no big deal. It's just friends with benefits. It's just, hey, we're just having fun, they'll say. Paul says, no, when you are having sex with someone, it is more than just two bodies coming together. It is two spirits. It is two souls coming together. You are becoming one with that person physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That you're literally giving away a piece of yourself every single time that you do that. And not only that, but he says something else here that's astounding. When he says that if you are a Christian, you are actually joining Jesus to that person. Because the Lord has placed his spirit in you. You are one with him. And so you're becoming one with someone else. And and notice the way he puts it in verse 15. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not, he says. I mean, what guy, or I guess even what gal today, would say, hey, Lord, you want to get with a prostitute tonight? No, no no one in their right mind would say that. That that would be an appalling thing. But, But Paul is saying, hey, when you are engaging in sexual immorality with somebody, you're not just joining yourself to that person, but you are joining Jesus to that person. And then he says something in verse 18 that is really, really heavy. He says that he puts sexual immorality here in a whole different classification of sin when he says this every sin that a man does is outside the body but he who commits sexual immorality actually sins against his own body that he or she 
is actually sinning against their own bodies. And this is why. Because their bodies, Paul says, are the temple of God. Their bodies are the the temple of God. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And think about the temple that, that was there in Jerusalem. And there inside of that temple, there, there was the Holy of Holies where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. But here's what happened. The people of Israel often defiled that temple by bringing idols into it. Or they defiled that temple with shameful practices that were done. But the temple was meant to be holy. And Paul is saying, your body is meant to be holy, set apart for the Lord. And this is one of the reasons why sex within marriage can be such a beautiful thing. It's actually a spiritual thing. It's the joining of two bodies, but not just two bodies, but two souls and two spirits together before the Lord. And that actually, listen, listen those of you who are married, that actually glorifies the Lord because that is one of the things that our bodies in marriage were designed for. But sexual immorality does the complete opposite. It defiles the temple of God. And so that for that reason, in verse 18, Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Now, the word flee in the Greek, I love this word. It's the word fugo in the Greek. And every time I hear that word fugo, it makes me think of this, fool, go. <laughs> Get out of there. Get up and run. Flee sexual immorality, he says. I think that, that especially, I'm going to you know, speak to, to all of us, whether married or single, because you know, even people who are married, they, they can get tempted in this area, you know, in the office or in the gym or ever, wherever it might be. But we need to do this. We need to follow the example of Joseph. Remember when Potiphar's wife had the hots for Joseph? And she comes and she starts, you know, just it says every day, Every day she's coming to him, you know, Joseph, lie with me. In other words, say, Joseph, I want you and I want you now. And every day Joseph would, you know, just put her off and say, I can't do this. I can't do this sin against my master and, and I can't do this sin, you know, against God. And finally, one day she just has enough. She literally grabs a hold of Joseph. And he runs right out of his clothes. First streaker in the Bible. I mean, he fled out of there as fast as he could go. And and that's what Paul's saying here. Fool, go. Flee, run as fast as you can. And Proverbs chapter 16, verse 17 says, The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. And I love that it uses the word highway there. Because what do you think of when you think of a highway? A highway is like a freeway. A highway is where you can go fast. The autobahn is a highway. And this is the idea is that the upright are speedy in departing from evil. They're not going to procrastinate. They're not going to play around with it. They're not going to, you know, contemplate. Hey, you know, they're not going to toy with that temptation. They're just going to flee. Now, another proverb says this. Says, can a can a person speaking about lust? Can a person take fire into his bosom and not get burned? And it's a rhetorical question because the obvious answer is no. If you think I'm lying, hey, get get a lighter, get something, and just hold it up to your stomach and 
watch and see if you don't get burned. Please do not do that, all right? But that's the idea there. No, you can't. You can't play around with lust and not get burned. So he says here, flee youthful lust. Don't play around with it. Run from it. I remember I had a friend years ago. His name was Billy. And Billy was dating this girl, and they, they went on a few dates, and, and uh, he was bringing her home one night, and they parked you know, outside of her, her house, and, and they started to kiss. They, they started to actually kind of, you know, they, they, were, they were making out. And as they were making out, man, that lust inside of, you know, Billy, his desire for this, this girl just began to, to build and build and build. And he literally stopped kissing her, opened up the door of the car, and ran down the streets. Maybe extreme, but it works. I don't know if she ever went out with him again, but, um, you know, it's the idea. Flee, run. Because Paul's saying, look, your body belongs to Jesus. And it's to be used by Jesus, not for sinful practices, but it's to be used to bring God glory. You know, in Romans chapter 12, we're told there to present ourselves to the Lord daily, as a living sacrifice. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever been like, Lord, today I, I want to just present my mind to you as a living sacrifice. Lord, I'm presenting my body to you today as a living sacrifice. Lord, I'm presenting my eyes, my ears today to you as a living sacrifice. I'm presenting these things to you. I wonder what our days would look like if we began to do that. On a daily basis, Lord, my body, my eyes, my ears, my body, it, it's yours. I'm presenting it to you today. You know, in Romans chapter 6, Paul's talking there about our old man, our old person. And he makes the statement that our old man who we used to be, that old sinful nature, has been crucified with Christ. And the power of sin has been rendered inactive in our lives. That power that used to dominate us has now been rendered inactive. In other words, it doesn't have power over you like it used to. That you can have victory over it is what Paul is saying. And here's how. He says, since that's true... He says later there in verse 12, so therefore, because that's true, your old man, the old man has been rendered inactive. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present your members to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So it's that same idea. Hey, Lord, I'm, I'm presenting myself to you as, today as a living sacrifice. My eyes, my ears, my body, all of me. And Lord, I want to walk in righteousness today. So help me. Lead me. Go before me. So, guardrails. That we are to avoid getting swept up into the cultural norms of our society by asking ourselves, is it helpful, number one? Is it going to help me grow in the Lord? Is it going to charge me up or is it going to drain me? Number two, am I going to be dominated by this? Does this thing have the potential to end up dominating my life and, and controlling my life where my life would be controlled by this activity or this thing and no longer be 
being controlled by Jesus, who's to be my king. That's the second thing. Will I be dominated by this? And number three, is this going to defile God's temple? It's going to defile my body. Is the temple of God, is this activity, is this thing that I'm moving towards, is it going to defile the temple of God? So there we see here in our text three guardrails to ask ourselves. I want to give you two quick, two, two other ones here in 1 Corinthians and then we'll be done. The, the, the next one is this, number four, will it further the gospel? And this is found in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Verse 19, you can turn there or it'll be on the screen. Paul writes this. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. And to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be that I may be partaker of it with you. So guardrail. Coming up to something, and I have to, and I'm asking myself, is this going to further the gospel? Is this going to give me the opportunity to be able to further the gospel and to talk to other people about Jesus? A friend of mine in his church, they have this sign that says this, we will do anything short of sin to promote the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's guardrail number four, is will it further the gospel? And then finally, guardrail number five, is this going to bring glory to God? And we find this in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, where Paul, after he is talking about all things are lawful and all things are not helpful, he says this, therefore, whether you eat or drink, that's kind of the context of the argument there, he says, do, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that's the question. Is this an activity? Is this a relationship? Is this a, uh, something that I can engage in that is actually going to glorify the Lord? And so it's saying, God, I want to glorify you with my life. And you know, if we can follow these five practices, I think that this will radically help us to avoid those getting sucked into and knowing how to navigate these cultural norms that, that the society around us says, well, hey, this everybody's doing it. Or our culture says, you know, hey, that's not that big of a deal. Or culture starts to want to shape our mindset that we can ask ourselves, wait a second, is this going to help my relationship with God? Or is it going to hurt it? Is, am I going to be, does this have the potential to dominate me instead of my life being dominated, powered by? energized by Jesus? Is this going to defile God's temple? Is it going to have an adverse effect upon my life? Am I going to be connecting Jesus to that which is sinful if I engage in this? And is it going to further the gospel or is it going to hurt the gospel? You see, that's one of the things that I think is happening today so often is that we get involved in activity 
that ends up diluting the effect of the gospel because people in the world go, you're no different than me. I don't see any difference between you and me. So we have to ask ourselves that. And then finally, coming to that place where it's like, Lord, I want to glorify you in everything that I do. So church, I pray tonight as you are taking this in, that you'd pray this in and that you would just consider tonight, Lord, is there anything that I've allowed into my life that is hurting me right now? Is there anything that I've allowed in my life that's dominating me right now? Is there anything that I've allowed in my life that actually is defiling the temple of the Holy Spirit? Is there anything that I've allowed in my life that is hindering my witness and my, my ability to, to share the gospel? Is, it, it, have, I, have you found yourself in this place where maybe there's you know, an opportunity that, that you have to talk about Jesus, but you're like, oh, I, can't, I can't talk about Jesus because I've been doing this and they know it. You ask yourself that. And then I pray that we would just have our hearts today to be commissioned toward this mindset. Lord, in everything that I do, I want to glorify you. I want, I want to give myself to you daily as a living sacrifice. And watch and see what the Lord does. How he moves, how he works, how doors begin to open up for you. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for just your goodness. We thank you, God, that you give us these guardrails in your word that, that you don't want to see us driving off cliffs. And so you, you give us these guardrails to protect us, to keep us on the, the right path in our relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that we would take heed to the guardrails tonight. And if there's anybody here that, that knows they've crossed over, I pray even tonight as they're, as they're watching this, Lord, that they would just repent, that they would turn from their sin and they would turn to you, that they would reach out to one of the counselors here online and just say, hey, I'd like some prayer tonight. And they could pray together right there over the chat. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to stand out both as a church as a whole and as individuals, as, as a beacon, lights, as you called us to be in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.